how he is uh, concerned not just with our personal lives, but he's also concerned about people, nations. So we're going to be talking a little bit about missions. And then on the third Sunday, we're going to be talking about God's disciplining love. And I know it's not very popular, but it's part of the Bible that God disciplines those he loves. Okay? So we're going to be talking about those three facets of God's love. So today, we're going to talk about God's love as a father. A father. Um, maybe some of you, to, you know, uh, will be the uh, first time to to hear a message on on this uh, topic about God's fatherly love. Uh, it's important to note that your view or your concept of your earthly father has an impact or has a bearing on how you view God as your father. Um, I want to to show you a a picture, a photo of this young boy. Okay? Would you be able to guess the identity of this child? Yeah, for you guys, it's easy, right? (laughs) Yeah, for the Philippines, they... Say some Hollywood actor. (laughs) But that is Barack Obama at age nine when he first met his earthly father. The reason being that um, he wrote this autobiography that he was searching for his biological father because his mom and his his mom. American white lady got married to a Kenyan guy. The Kenyan was here in America to, to study in Hawaii, but soon, I think he was like only two years old, the father returned back to, to Kenya. So Barack Obama never had you know, uh, time growing up with his father. And this was the first time he saw his father when he was nine years old in an airport, and he stayed with him with, for only three weeks. And he never saw him, because a couple of years later, he was around 17 when his dad died. Poor, in a car accident in, in Kenya. Now, all of us would like to get to know our earthly fathers. Uh, some of us have very good experiences with fathers, with our earthly fathers, who've treated us well, who loved us unconditionally. But there's, there are some earthly fathers who haven't lived up to God's standard. Okay. And as I look, and as I show you, these types of fathers, maybe you can identify with them. Maybe it was your father. Maybe it is you right now who possesses these traits. So the first father that we can see is the absentee father. And how can they be absent? Okay? For some of us who grew up uh, in families where the father or, or the mother worked overseas, the separation can be because of distance. No? Distance. They're, they're working overseas because your family, they want to provide for the needs of the family. So they are absent. Another reason for their absence could be that they got divorced or separated from your mother. Another D would be emotional distant. Your father never really 
warmed up to you as a person, as his son. And another uh, reason for the absence could be disease. Disease, meaning the, the father would be probably crippled or in a hospital. And the last one would be death. Maybe your father passed away when you were little. My, my father was an orphan when he was seven years old. So he had very little memories of his father. Not only are some fathers absent, they can be apathetic. They don't care for you. They may, you may live in the same household, but there is no emotional connection between father and son. Sadly, there are also some fathers who are addicted. Addicted to alcohol, addicted to other substances that have ruined not only the lives of the father, but the family as well. Here's another type of father, the authoritarian father who barks orders like a military drill. Saying, you know, my, my word is the only thing that matters in this household. So, measure up to it. Or, there's also the abusive father who wounds his son or his daughter through the words that come out of his mouth. Or through physical abuse. And here, There's also another kind of father, one we call the achievement-driven father. The one who's do everything, who who, uh, wants his son or his daughter to be driven in certain fields, in, in the academic realm, because they want their son or their daughter to live their dream, their own dream. Anyone here familiar with the tennis star Andre Agassi? In the 90s, 2000s, boy, he, he, was, he was great. He won a lot of championships. But just lately, I've, I've read his story. He was telling the story of his father. Because his father came from Iran. So he's a typical immigrant, driven, would like to succeed. So even early on, as a child, four years old, five years old, he was already bringing his son to the tennis courts, hitting balls every day, to the point that Andre felt that he was like a machine. That's all he does. You know, but the thing that surprised me about the comment of Andre Agassi was this. He said, I don't love tennis. In fact, I hated tennis. I only did it because I wanted to please my dad. So here are folks. These are some of our human fathers. It's not to lay any guilt trip on you. It's so that we will see that our God, okay, from the scriptures, from Romans 8, 31 to 39, the character of God is so far different from what we picture as Father. So at the end of the, ser- the sermon, the message, my prayer is that you will have such a correct view of God as Father. That it will correct any of those misconceptions 
that you have with you because of your emotional baggage. And so, with that as introduction, shall we all rise and we'll read Scripture together. Romans 8, 31 through 39. We together. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he? Then is the one who condemns. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither ne- nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's be seated. Father, as we have read your precious scripture, we pray, Lord, that these words are not just words that we read, but that they will, Lord, just become real. Not just in our heads, but in our hearts as well that we may be able to grasp the depths, the strength of your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I've entitled the sermon, More Than Conquerors. And um, if if you go to verse 37... We just read that. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, what is Paul actually trying to say? Remember, he's writing to the Romans. Romans are from Rome, Italy, the, the Roman Empire, they have a clear picture of what this is, you know, what Paul is trying to convey. When the Roman uh, uh, generals would be victorious in their military conquest of other nations or other peoples, what they would do is they would uh, designate a day wherein all the spoils of war, okay, when, when all the soldiers, victorious, will be parading in front of the people and in front of the Roman emperor to show, you know, hey, we have conquered. See? So, what Paul is saying is, as a Christian, as a child of God, we are able to be more than conquerors, more than victorious. Okay? The, the word, the Greek word, interesting, that he used here for conquerors only appears once in the whole of the New Testament. Okay? Listen, the word is nikao, nikao, N-I-K-A-O. Okay? It is actually uh, from uh, 
the Greek uh, goddess or god for victory. Okay? From whom the company Nike gets its name. Okay? So Nike means victor. So that's the picture that Paul is saying. As your children of God, as, a father, as we are children of God, we are more than conquerors. We don't use human weapons. Okay? That's what he's saying. We use God's armor. We use God's ways, which is love. We conquer hate through love. We we pray. We pray to God. We fast so that we can conquer our flesh. We have all these weapons at our disposal. The question is, are you using these weapons or these means in your Christian walk. So here, we'd like, I'd like you to take a look at God's love. We are conquerors because God loved us. There. The key phrase is love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, Romans 8, verse 1, uh, Paul says, Therefore there is now no condemnation, not guilty, for those who are, what? In Christ Jesus. Okay? So first, he says, no condemnation, okay? no guilty, no punishment. And here, towards the end, the end of this chapter, he says, not only no condemnation, no Separation. Okay? Tell your seatmate, no separation. And no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Okay. Now, the first point that I see as I studied Romans 8.31 is that God's love for you and for me, is so extravagant. Now, where did I get that? It says in verse 32, God, who did not spare his own son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us All things. Okay. Now, if you remember the story of Abraham in Genesis, Abraham was given the promise of God, by God, not only to have a land of his own, but that he will have an offspring. And that offspring came through Isaac, Isaac, the son of promise. He had to wait. He waited more than 15 years before Isaac came. And then several years later, maybe some scholars say, maybe Isaac was between 7 to 15 years old. God tested Abraham's faith and asked that Isaac and him travel to a mountain and that Isaac will be sacrificed. Any, any, everyone familiar with that story, right? And then when, when, uh, when Abraham was about to strike and kill his own son, God intervened and said, Ah, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear me, that you love me, that you will carry out my command. 
And so God asked Abraham to spare his son Isaac. And now we compare what God did, what God allowed Jesus Christ to undergo in Gethsemane, in Calvary. I wanted to point this out. He, God, did not spare Jesus, but he gave him up for us all. Now, God's plan, even before the rebellion in heaven, before Adam and Eve sinned, he already knew that he had a plan for Jesus to save us from our sins. And in the book of Matthew, this is very, very clear. Uh, I want to share with you some of the, the verses. Okay, In Matthew 20, verse 17, okay, verse 18, we are going up to Jer- Jerusalem, Jesus says, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And they will, he will be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Notice those, that phrase, son of man, meaning him, will be delivered over. Then the next one, In Matthew 26, when Judas uh, had already uh, hatched this plan to betray Jesus, in verse 16, it reads, From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over, to deliver him to his enemies. In the next chapter, 27, so they bound Jesus led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And last, in uh, verse 18, for he knew, Jesus knew, or rather Pilate knew, that it was out of self-interest that the Jews had handed Jesus over to him. The last verse, it says, but had, when they released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So what's my point? My point is this. The Jews, although it would appear that they were instrumental in killing Jesus or maybe Pilate or whoever you would want to pin the blame on. The fact of the matter is it was God himself, the Father, who allowed, who orchestrated the events so that he would give his son who was sinless, who was perfect, the one that he loved for you and for me so that we will be saved. Isn't that worthy of praising God? Doesn't that grab you deep down in your heart that God would do that to his son? that he would be separated, that Jesus would, would suffer the mental, emotional anguish of being separated from his father for only once in his life. Yet Jesus did not resist. He gave his life for you and for me. That's how extravagant 
God's love is. Okay? So, tell your seatmates, God's love is extravagant. Okay. The other thing that we need to learn about God, not only is His love great, is that His love is personal. He's not distant. He's personal, yet He is holy. Now, in this book, in Romans 8, 31 to 35, there are at least three or four rhetorical questions. What are these? First one, if God is for us, who, who can be against us? In verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is it that condemns? I think Paul had in, in his mind here Satan, the devil. He is mentioned as the accuser. He accuses us before the Father of our sins. But what God, what God has done through Jesus Christ, it says here, who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ, in verse 34, who died... More than that, who was raised to life, meaning his sacrifice, God raised him to life because his sacrifice was accepted by God. What is he doing at the right hand of God? It says he is also interceding for us. So every time you hear the accusations of the enemy, of Satan saying, you're no good. Okay, see, you sinned again. You, 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 uh, God's not going to accept you. Okay, don't listen to that lie. Okay, because it is Satan who is lying. He wants you to believe that your God will not love you anymore. That God's love is, is uh, conditional. But God has already accepted you because you are in Christ Jesus. If you truly have repented of your sins and turned over your life to Christ, then you are. That's the only way you can become born again or part of the family of God. So, although, you know, we, we all stumble we're all in the process of uh, being uh, conformed to Christ. We are a work in progress. But God doesn't want us to just stay where we are. Okay? The Christian life is one of struggle, one of uh, uh, increasing holiness. What does he want us? Through all of this, he wants you and me to be like Jesus. All right. Now, in, in the earlier verses, it says here, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If we have the Holy Spirit living in, within us, that is the proof that we are the children of God. But we have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay? Now that's a radical thought, especially among the Jews. We become children of God by adoption okay, into his family. Not physical. We don't get adopted uh, physically. 
we become adopted, uh, we become children of God by adoption. And look at this. I want us to concentrate on that. We cry, Abba. That is a, a, a term of endearment, of closeness. It's like daddy. You can call God your father. Daddy. What, what, what is the, the closest? Okay, every one of us, maybe, has a particular special uh, term of endearment for their father. Diba? Iba, daddy, no? popsy, ano ba iba? Tatay, more of respectful, eh, no? Pero papani, there are others that have more, you know, closer, huh? closer, more intimate terms. Right? So, yeah, this is it, exactly what it's saying. We can call God the Father, Daddy, Abba Father, because Jesus taught us we can do that. In the Old Testament, they, their view of a father is so distant. You know, such a holy father, you know, he needs so much sacrifices before he can come and, and, and accept you. But because of what Jesus has died, done on the cross, you are accepted as sons and daughters so we can call God Abba, Daddy. And then, finally, God's love is everlasting. Not only that no one, no person, no one like Satan can separate you from God's love, but nothing, nothing, no event, can separate you from God's love. And here, Paul enumerates what may be possibilities. He says, shall, who shall, what, or who, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Okay? So, it gets progressively more difficult when you become a Christian. When you, in those days, it is like the equivalent of a death sentence. When you swear, you, uh, you turn away from your allegiance from the Roman emperor, okay, because the, they view the emperor as a god. Okay? So when you turn away and say, no, only Jesus is Lord and Savior, you are in fact saying, you know, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to, uh, to give up all the comforts, all the privileges of being a, a Roman citizen. I'm ready to be persecuted. I'm ready uh, not to be able to buy food for my family. Okay? I'm ready to go to prison. I'm even ready to die by the sword. And Paul says, well, I'm persuaded. Nothing, death nor life, angels nor principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. <laughs> from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is the good news that God is a merciful Father who doesn't change his mind concerning us. That is simply His grace upon us. If we truly have been converted, and I don't mean converting religions, that is not what this preaching is about. 
What I'm saying is if you have in your heart, inside of you, seeing yourself as needy, as being a sinner, as worthy of separation from God, then, in fact, that is good news because you have actually admitted that you can't save yourself. And so we go on to the good news that Jesus died, Christ died for your sins. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will experience forgiveness of all of your sins. You will be declared not guilty. You will have uh, an inheritance in heaven. You will be part of the family of God by adoption. You will have a new family. You will have a church family who loves you and cares for you and nurtures you. And you will have a, not just abundant life here, but an inheritance stored up for you in heaven. Shall we meditate on these words? I want us to rise up today. Stand up. And I sense that God is speaking to you in your heart. That he wants to bring healing into your lives, into your heart. That if you had a father who was one of those six that we looked at. If you had an abusive father, if you had an absent father, you had an a addicted father, an achievement-driven father, In other words, if you had a a relationship with your father which is dysfunctional and you're hurting, but you you don't understand, somehow you have transferred that relationship into your view of God, the Father. And we need to break it down. We need to find, you need to find healing in your life. You need to get rid of those negative views of Father and see the real Father, God the Father, for who really is. So if that is your desire, okay? if you have been wounded, you can receive healing. So what do I do? As an act of brokenness and as an act of faith, just come forward here. Here, up front here. Admit that you've been wounded. Admit that your relationship is not with your father was not what was ideal. And even if he or she, or your mother is dead, you need to release that negativity in your life. Would you do that right now? Just as as the worship team is uh, playing softly, he knows my name. Come forward, and we will see God heal Bring healing to the deepest wounds in your soul so that you will begin to see God for who he really is. A great, extravagant, personal God who loves you for all eternity. You're welcome. 
It is just between you and God. If you come forward here today, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your family. You're doing it for your children. Because you want to break that curse. Okay? You want to, to start anew. You want to have that freedom in Christ. You want to be victorious. Maybe some of you have not been wounded. But maybe some of you would like to feel that embrace from God that He loves you. And now is the time to show God, I want to be, I want to call you Daddy. I want to come here in front and feel your love by faith. I want to feel your arms around me that you accept me as your son and your daughter. If, you, if that is your, your desire, come here in front and you will receive that by faith because God says it in his word that you can come and call him Abba Father. Come on. If there's that separation, if there's something that is blinding you from seeing that truth, come forward. We will pray for you. And we will ask God, the Holy Spirit, to show God's love for you. You don't need to be doing things to be accepted by God. God loves you because He loves you. 
That is the truth. Come on. Come church. Show him you love him too. Because he longs to embrace you right now. I won't prolong this anymore. This is your last, my last invitation. Maybe you're not used to it, but you have to come. You have to release anything that's holding you back from your love relationship with the Father. Dear God, you see these four women and one elderly man. My brothers, my sisters, my mothers, my father come before you in humility, admitting, Lord, that they need a special healing in the area of emotions in the area of their relationship with their father or their mother. It does not matter if they're still alive. More important, well, it's more important that they're alive and that they can still repair and restore a broken relationship. But for those of you whose parents are no longer alive, it is still a good exercise to release you of all that pain and guilt and sorrow and embrace God's love. So Lord, you see their hearts. You see each one of their brokenness and their pain. You don't, the, the enemy wants us to be convinced that this pain is there because they are bad people. But Lord, you have said in your word that we are accepted, that we are not condemned, that we are not separated from you because of your love, which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would break all those strongholds in their lives that are separating them from seeing your love and experiencing your love. Lord, we pray by faith that you will so give them an embrace this morning. Lord, in their spirits, in their minds that you will be, that they will play, that they will remember that today, June 29, 2014, they were set free from all the pain, all the emotional baggage, Lord, that has affected not just their relationship with you, but their relationship with their loved ones. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done in the lives of my brothers and my sisters today. We pray, Lord, for victory in their lives because you promised it in your word that we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors through Christ who had loved us because you showed us the real love even before we got the knowledge of the gospel. Lord, you died for us. And because we have received this love from the Father, we can reciprocate. We can love you again. We can love you back. We can love those who have hurt us. We can bless those who persecute us. Father, thank you for this healing. Thank you for this abundant life. 
Thank you for your humble servants who believe that they have been healed, who believe that they are victors because of Jesus Christ, because of your love. Lord, dismiss them, Lord, with the assurance, Lord, that the enemy has no power over them. Dismiss them, Lord. That every time they have this thought that is negative, they go back to your word. They go back to reading Romans 8, 31 to 39. Keep reading it. Keep reading it until faith comes stronger, until they come praising you, until they look forward to seeing you in that day. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done today. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So we give God the clap offering.